Hi, I'm Talia and I am the host of Compassionate Conversations podcast series two. In series two, we will hear from inspiring people who work for and with young people. Each episode is designed to share ways of empowering the next generation to ensure they have the tools to go on to have mentally healthy futures. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media, Single Parents Wellbeing. This morning, I have two very special guests joining me from Glasgow. So we've got Lou and Ellis Beardsmore. They are the lovely co-founders of Pride Outside. They both do amazing things in the past and currently. So Lou has worked in the charity sector for about 20 years. She is a qualified wellbeing coach and trauma-informed meditation teacher and runs her own coaching business called Wellbeing Rebels. Ellis was previously a CEO for a youth education charity. She lived in Sudan and Pakistan and is currently working as a trainee psychotherapist. Ellis is also a co-founder of Beyond the Box, a facilitation collective which provides education and training on LGBTQ plus issues. All that being said, we will be focusing on Pride Outside and their personal stories which led them to create Pride Outside and we will be just learning about how we as parents, youth workers, friends etc can be better in supporting a young person who may be in the LGBTQ plus community. So let's jump in. Great. Hi guys, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks. It's really exciting to be here. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. That's nice. I was taught, I just wanted to let our listeners know just a little bit of encouragement to you guys before we start, and also a bit of context to how I know you guys briefly. So, I attended one of your LGBTQ plus masterclasses last year and was raving about it to my team. And I just honestly, I learned so much. And I think there was something that really stood out to me and struck me was just how like permission giving it felt. And I'm sure like you guys have probably trialed and errored different things and tried to see what works and what doesn't work with people. But honestly, I haven't quite been to like a networking event or masterclass quite like it and I even like I think like in the area like sometimes like even from my own experience there are some things that I probably there are questions that I would maybe want to ask but would also feel uncomfortable asking just out of like not wanting to offend anybody things like that and I think just from like how you guys presented yourself and like created such like a safe environment I honestly felt like I could ask anything and you guys had like the kindness and grace to like answer any questions. And so I just wanted to say thank you for that. Thanks so much for saying that. I think even though we're not parents ourselves, I think we made that masterclass with both our parents in mind. (laughs) It's a masterclass we wish our parents had when we came out. Yeah. So yeah, it's great to hear that feedback because that's exactly what it's for. Yeah, and I, I really felt that. Yeah, oh, thanks. Yeah, I was just going to say that's really what we want. We want it to be a space where people can ask questions or those difficult questions that maybe aren't appropriate to ask everyone all the time. But yeah, it feels really important to create that space for the difficult conversations. Yeah. What we find is people are more likely to ask us than they are perhaps their child. Yeah. So it's a safe space to ask all those difficult or icky or emotional or confused questions and a really safe positive space which yeah is easier than often 
yeah asking your child we can do the work yeah yeah Yeah, definitely I think it is and it's just yeah it's really powerful so yeah all that being said can you guys just let everyone else know a little bit more about yourselves and what you do yeah so I'm Ellis Birdsmore and I use they them pronouns So that means that I identify as non-binary. So I don't identify as a man or a woman. And so they then pronouns can be confusing for some people, but you just, where you might have said he or she, you just substitute it with they. So yeah, I'm one half of uh, Pride Outside and we are a social enterprise that's about reducing discrimination for LGBT people. So creating a world where LGBT people can thrive, not just survive. And we do this in two ways. So one is the diversity training and education. So the masterclass that you came to. And the other one is about wellbeing work for the LGBT community in the woodlands. It's a very short snapshot. Then this is my wife. It's exciting that we work together and we got married last year. So we're still excited about that. Yeah, so I'm Lou Beardsmore. I am Ellis's business partner and life partner. (laughs) I use she and her pronouns. Yeah, and we both get involved in both sides of the work. We've got about 40 years training experience between us. And we just felt like the most positive impact we could have in the world is by training in LGBT diversity. Because for those people listening, hate crime has actually went up in the last two years. So sadly, things have got worse for the community rather than better and we just really wanted to change that we want every young queer person to feel really hopeful and excited about their future and I think part of role modeling that is modeling our happy successful like life and saying you know things get better and things can be great yeah so not to worry if things are tough just now because they do get better yeah thank you for that and I think you guys do just you're just the most amazing examples for that so yeah you're doing the right thing <laughs> thanks that's okay you can tell I'm your biggest fans <laughs> is it, this is great <laughs> yeah it's quite nerve-wracking doing master classes because it was a big you know being LGBT and being visible you know it's a journey that we've been on as well because yeah the world essentially you know there is homophobia there is transphobia in the world so by doing these master classes and being visible yeah you're opening yourself to yeah to trolling to criticism but the thing that keeps us going is just the incredible feedback we get from people whether that's parents or grandparents or people that just say thanks for your training like I feel so much more connected to my child or I understand or I get it and that is way more than the few incidents of trolling or negativity yeah definitely and for those who will be listening to this, stay listening to the end because we will be asking questions who are from some of our questions from our single parents in our community. So we will get around to them at the end. But is it okay if you guys share your coming out stories? Yeah, of course. Yeah, shall I go first? So yeah, we've got quite different coming out stories and I think that's sometimes helpful to hear that there are, there's no one way to come out and there are different models so yeah I live in Glasgow now and I moved to Glasgow about eight years ago and so when I moved to Glasgow I'd have said yeah I was straight I'd have said I identified as cisgender I hadn't really thought about gender so you know I was born my parents thought I should be a woman and that that's what I was so I've really been on a journey in the last eight years kind of coming out in my 30s and I think for me it was that I started to really I grew up in a very Catholic household where 
you know, sexuality and gender weren't things that were talked about. And I think I saw the world, I wanted to fit in, right? And so for me, I was like, okay, yeah, I like date boys, identify as a woman, and that felt important. But actually, as I grew up and got older and started learning more about other opportunities, I started to have these moments of like, oh, yeah, maybe I'm not as straight as I thought I was. And so, yeah. And I think as well as I would identify as like bisexual or queer in terms of my like sexuality. And so I think in that space, like I did date men and I did enjoy that. And I, you know, I'm not going to date men at the, mo- the moment because I'm married to Lou, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that kind of attraction to women or other people of other genders didn't quite come out because I, I felt like I had to be safe and that was important. So yeah, there was a real kind of opening up. I've been contemplating it for a while. This is the like cheesy bit of the story, like thinking that maybe I wasn't straight and reason about it and thinking about it. And then I was in a club one night and a girl came up to me. And I remember having this like really like conscious moment of being like, right, okay, I can either like kiss her and get on with it or like kind of stay in this like uncertainty and this fear. And then, yeah, it was a really beautiful moment. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely not straight. And then, yeah, I think for me, gender has been a bit of a longer journey. I think really just questioning gender assumptions. And it took me a long time to have the words for the kind of, in a technical sense, we talk about like gender dysphoria. But I think that can be really hard to describe. Like for me, there was always a kind of disconnect or a slight uncomfortableness around what was expected of me as a woman and the societal pressures of that. And yeah, it just took me a long time to be able to frame it. And I think meeting more trans people or more non-binary people gave me the like language to express what wasn't, you know, what was my identity, but I just hadn't had the words for it before. So yeah, that's, and yeah, so I came out, I guess I came out to Lou quite early on in our relationship around my gender and then slowly to a small group of like friends and family that were really trusted before like coming out more publicly, changing my name, all of those kinds of things. But it was, yeah, I think it, and we'll talk about it, I guess, in terms of young people and everyone's experience is different. But I think particularly for the trans experience, people can really feel that inside for a long time and not have words for it or not be able to talk about it because it feels really scary so it might feel like a shock when someone comes out but often and like it was definitely true for me I've been thinking about that and sometimes with the language sometimes not with the language for several years before I came out yeah yeah Yeah, it's really great hearing else talk about it because having been through the journey on the other side sometimes people assume that because I was gay that I would naturally know everything about gender and trans non-binary and I didn't I really didn't I remember Ellis telling me they thought they might be non-binary or trans them leaving the room and me quickly googling it (laughs) (laughs) so I went on a massive journey and I think the main thing for me is watching Ellis grow in confidence be more themselves be happier you know walk with a swag and you're just more yourself now and I think for anyone listening if you have got someone going through it and it can be quite scary you can have lots of questions you know non-binary and trans for me is when someone comes out they're just being more of themselves mm, that's more nice. and more of themselves happier more content in their body and I think yeah that's the sort of main thing I would put across because sometimes one gets quite scared at the beginning my coming out journey yeah a bit different from Ellis's I'm one of four girls I knew quite early on I didn't have language for it I think 
the first time I had language for it was probably when I was 12 years old. And I remember all my sisters getting really excited, speaking about boys they fancied at school and just being really aware that I didn't and I couldn't really relate to or I couldn't identify. And yeah, and just noticing that I was having similar feelings that they did, but before for girls. Sadly, it was at the time of section 28. For those not listening, Ellis can give a quick description of section 28, probably better than I can. Yeah, so section 28 was a piece of legislation that came in under the Thatcher government, so in the kind of late 70s, early 80s, that made it illegal for teachers or anyone in school to talk about LGBT issues. So it was in place, yeah, the whole time Lou was at school and the whole time I was at school. So it was a repealed in 2003 in England and Wales. Yeah, so I just remember adults around me having conversations about it. And there was words like homosexuality being dirty, weird, abnormal, unnatural. So I was hearing this at the same time that I was having these feelings. So I knew straight away, like, this is wrong. I shouldn't be feeling like this. Why am I feeling like this? Yeah, so I knew about 12 and I continued just, yeah, this internal struggle, to be honest, with, I was very girly, very femme, you know, and then I thought, well, I'll get a boyfriend, you know, maybe it's just that I haven't got a boyfriend. And once I get a boyfriend, then you know, I'll be normal. These feelings will magically, magically appear. I had a boyfriend for a while and funnily enough, the feelings didn't magically appear and I didn't feel the same way. And that was when I was about 14 or 15. And that's when I really knew, you know, when I did have a boyfriend, I just, I thought I was so miserable and so unhappy. And I think I was, yeah, I was 16 when I finally kissed a girl for the first time. And when I did, a bit like Ellis's story, as soon as I kissed the girl, I was like, ah, this is the butterflies people are talking about. This is the excitement. My body isn't broken. It's just different. And it was just like total freedom. I was like, oh, this is who I am. So I decided to tell, yeah, to tell my mom. And it was difficult because she didn't know anyone who was gay. She was worried for me. She was concerned that, you know, she's worried is that a phase? You know, if you do come out, will you get bullied? But I decided to come out anyway. And unfortunately, I did get bullied, which was tough. But to be honest, it was worth it because I felt like I could be myself with my close group of friends and Mm. they knew and they were supportive. And then I ended up going to, I was very lucky that I went to a youth LGBT group, which I would definitely recommend if anyone's listening. Unfortunately, there aren't too many of them, but they do exist in the bigger cities. And that's when I totally came into my own in terms of my confidence and you know, meeting lots of other people who are also LGBT. Yeah. And I think that's been my story in that I'm what, 44 now. So I've been out, I've been out and came out um, many times in my life since then. But yeah, that's a rough bit of my coming out story. Yeah, that's, that's so good. And it's just like being able to just be transparent with who you are, what you are. Like, it's just so liberating. Can I just add one thing? Yeah, of course. Sorry, I know we've said a lot. But I just, I think we can have this idea of coming out that it happens once, right? There's this moment that you realise and then you come out, right? And you tell your friends or your family and then you're done. But actually, I just want to kind of, that coming out process happens all the time, right? So it happens 
I don't know, it happens like in the coffee shop where I'm like, oh yeah, that's my wife. And people are like, oh, I don't know. Like, or where I correct someone's pronouns to like, so that they've got the right pronouns for me. So I think, yeah, just what I like, there's that process of coming out that just never stops in some ways. And there's obviously that initial understanding, but I think it's helpful to be aware that it is a process that people have to keep doing. Because yeah. as a society, we assume that people are heterosexual or straight or cisgendered. And would you say that it gets easier in time and less daunting, or is there still nerves even in saying that maybe now? I think it depends on the situation. It's about how much you've got to lose, I would say. So I'm very confident in my social life and in my friendship groups because people know and love me and care about me. And even meeting new friends, I'm very confident coming out because that's I show up with my full self. And if that's not what they're looking for or they're not okay with it, then we're not going to be friends. However, it becomes a bit more difficult in work situations. So for example, I've had work situations where I do a lot of freelance work you know, I might be in a situation where, you know, it's a really great job. I really love doing it. But then someone's homophobic or says something homophobic, assuming that I'm straight. And then that feels more scary to show up as my full self. Because mm. yeah. I'm like, oh, coming out isn't just coming out to a new person that may or may not be my friend. Coming out suddenly means they may or may not contract me again. Yeah. If they've shared something that's homophobic or transphobic. So to be honest, that feels more scary. And Ellis, despite coming out later in life, is hugely out and very visible. And it's actually encouraged me to be more visible because I do see it as, as being an older queer person. I feel like I have a responsibility to be visible and normalize it. Yeah. Actually, I do now speak up. And if that means that I, you know, I lose a contract or they, you know, think differently of me, you know, I'm fortunate enough in my 40s that you know, you might not in your 16, 17, you really need the job. But I'm fortunate enough in my 40s that that's okay. If that's the reason they're not going to work with me, because obviously our values aren't really aligned. Yeah, sure. And that's a really good point as well. Mm-hmm. I know not everyone has that luxury. And I certainly didn't when I was younger. But Yeah, and I think I think it also depends on, you know, your other identities and where you are. So as a kind of, as a white person, it's also easier for me to be, out as part of the LGBT community because I don't experience racism as well and so the intersection of both of those can definitely make it harder for people or other identities yeah having a disability or those kinds of things make it really tough but I think for people listening I want to say it's not always really hard I think when you first come out it is really difficult and I think as you as you come out more and more it can be frustrating I think to have to keep coming out but it doesn't I don't know, I don't feel quite the same like emotional difficulty or challenge of it that I did when I first came out. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, you definitely the more you come out (laughs) (laughs) and you know the questions people are going to ask, so you're you're equipped and ready (laughs) to have the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I can't relate to that exactly at all, but it does remind me of so when I was 15. I got pregnant and had my daughter Lily and I'm like 25 now with like a almost 10 year old and so I have constantly had like growing up how I've gone out with Lily and people are automatically assuming she's my sister 
and there's almost like that elephant in the room people don't know how to address me and almost like weird or like sometimes people have like made comments about like and like stigmatized like young single parents and not knowing I've got a daughter and then making it more uncomfortable for me to talk about like my situation and things like that and yeah it's really difficult I think we can all relate to that we all want to be liked and loved and accepted yeah it's a fear of judgment isn't it yeah sometimes make it harder to come out with anything whether it's coming out as a single mom or coming out as LGBT yeah it can be difficult yeah oh thanks guys for sharing your stories being vulnerable are you happy to talk about Pride Outside and was it but it was it you two who you co-founded it didn't you was it with somebody else as well or just you two to begin with it was ourselves that we registered it a year and a half ago as a social enterprise yeah yeah (laughs) but originally started we started doing work maybe six years ago so we'd started work with two other people who'd came together one was a community artist one did a lot of outdoors work and I suppose I brought the LGBT element I was really passionate because of my own mental health if I'm honest a big part of my recovery was being in the woodlands So I really wanted to get LGBT groups into the Woodland. So the first festival was before COVID. And it was one of those things where, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. (laughs) I created a festival that I would love to go to. I was struggling going to the big Pride Festival because, you know, there can be, it can be overwhelming. There's thousands of people. And at that time, I had bad anxiety. It just felt a bit much. And I thought... I'd love to go to a Pride event that was like really relaxed. It was in the woodlands. It was family friendly. It was like a safe, sober space. So I thought, what if I just created something like that? So we had our first festival and we didn't even advertise it. I was rubbish at social media back then. And I think we had just over 300 people turn up in the woodlands (laughs) on a sunny Scottish sort of July day. And it was just incredible. Yeah, it's like people brought their children who just came out. We had parents who were LGBT. It was just, yeah, it was magical. It was absolutely magical. So we had two festivals before lockdown. And then during lockdown, obviously we couldn't have a festival. So we started doing online work. And then we decided it was so needed in the community. We knew hate crime was going up. We knew there was a mental health crisis. And that's when Ellis came on board it's not ideal for everyone working with their partner, but we work quite well together. Not all the time, but most of the time. <laughs> and you were bringing so much skill sets. Ellis used to be a chief exec. You know, I definitely do not have the business skills, but the well-being skills. And I think that's when we got really serious about Pride Outside. We were like, we have got something magical here that the community needs more than ever. How can we do this more often? How can we have monthly Pride Outside events? How can we have online Pride Outside events to improve the well-being of the community? So I'd say you were instrumental in formalising it and getting funding and basically just elevating Pride Outside from a kind of voluntary doing our best to actually making a big difference. I don't know. I think Lou's downplaying it. She ran some amazing festivals with very limited resources. But I think the little bit that I wanted to add was that we... So we started from a place of how are we improving the well-being of the LGBT community? And that felt really important to us. But then... I guess it must have been kind of sometime last year, early last year, we took a group into the woodlands. It's a woodland space we use quite a lot. 
there are these beautiful stones around there and they've been graffitied with homophobic and racist graffiti. And it was a really, well, it was really shocking because it was shocking to us. It's a space we used a lot. We didn't expect to see that. It was really tough for the group to see. And I think it made me really realise I'd already been running a bit of gender diversity training with a different colleague. And it made me realise that whilst taking LGBT people into the woodlands for a couple of hours to improve their well-being is really important and we really make a long-term difference, actually, if they're leaving our sessions and going out into a world that feels homophobic or transphobic or where there's graffiti or people saying negative things, then also that has such a significant impact on their well-being. And so for us, that's where the diversity training came from, where we were like, actually, it's really important that we both have got a background in running training and learning and engaging people, that we can kind of really take these things that people are scared of, as you say, right? Or people think they might say the wrong thing or ask the wrong question, that we can really take that out into the world to give a space for people to learn more because we know most people want to do better. They just don't know or they don't know where to get their questions answered. So that's where our diversity training piece came from and it's really taken off. We've got lots of different inquiries from lots of different people, but it it feels so important. That's why we're really excited to be here as well, to just be doing that kind of educating and talking about what are the issues for the community. Yeah. yeah. It's worth saying as well, the training we do, it started off with organisations, you know, youth charities, educational establishments who want to bring us in. But it's really interesting because a lot of people who come to the masterclasses are like yourself. They're parents, their family, their carers, their friends who just want to know more. So we went about producing a e-learning course. It's like two or three hours online and it's ourselves telling our coming out stories, doing lots of education around terminology, you know, how to support someone coming out. And we find that's been really useful because we don't just want to go into organisations. We also want to support family and friends to support their young people when they come out. Yeah. So I think that's also part of part of the model that I think it's not just organisations, it's also about family and friends. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds so good. And that is really nice to hear the context behind your mission. Well, this is good, Tally, you've asked us now because we had a board meeting last week. (laughs) The mission of Pride Outside is to improve the lives of LGBTQ plus people. We want a world where LGBTQ plus people thrive and don't just survive. And we do this in two ways. Firstly, by delivering diversity training to reduce discrimination and harm. And secondly, by delivering wellbeing events to improve the wellbeing and mental health of our LGBT community. Perfect. Nailed it. That's very good. You guys, you did touch upon the challenges that young people face. Do you have any like statistics or any more to add to that part specifically of what type of challenges they go through? Yeah, so I think, yeah, I think it can be really tough to be an LGBTQ plus young person today. And I think sometimes there's an impression of like, well, there isn't Section 28, for example, or, you know, more generally, and lots of research says more generally, people are more accepting of the LGBTQ plus community than they were, say, 20 or 30 years ago. But yeah, I think it is still really tough. Lots of research tells us it's still really tough to be an LGBT young person today. And that can be that kind of fear of being rejected 
by your friends and your friendship groups and those dynamics that happen in friendship groups, but also by your family. So we know that if we look at like youth homelessness, for example, a disproportionately high number of young people who are homeless are part of the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, it's just over 40%. Yeah. So 10% of young people identify as LGBT, yet 40% of the homeless community are LGBT. So it's very disproportionate. And I think as well for young people, so yeah, there's a challenge in coming out, there's a challenge in being accepted at home, but also at school. And I think, yeah, social media, the challenges of social media can be really tough for young people as well. And I think what we're seeing as well, so the research is showing that whilst more young people are coming out and that feels really great, it feels like it is more accepted, those mental health challenges are still there. And that actually, yeah, the rates of, I think it's like... Yeah, 60% of LGBT young people have experienced some kind of mental health issue, whether that's depression or anxiety or possibly feeling suicidal or eating disorders as well, are really high in the LGBTQ plus community. So I think that's where really supporting LGBT young people is really important, whether that's like youth groups or family support or and also making sure that mental health services are informed about LGBT issues and kind of understand that. Because I think what I really want to say on that is that it can often be when we talk about mental health that it's about somebody's individual situation. But Mm -hmm. actually, for me, the kind of real challenges of mental health for LGBT young people and LGBT older people are the kind of structural homophobia, transphobia in society that, you know, even today we don't see loads of TV programmes with gay couples or we don't see many examples of trans people in a positive way. Yeah. So because there is still these like there's still a large proportion of society that might not agree with them, that's what impacts people's mental health. So it's not that there's something wrong with them, it's how society views them that causes poor mental health. Yeah. And it's worth saying as well, one of the main protective factors for young LGBT people mm-hmm. is their family home and their family mm-hmm. relationships. So even if the world is homophobic and transphobic, perhaps in their friendship group, they're being bullied. If things are tough at school, if you have you know, someone at home that's championing you, if you have a safe and trusted person you can speak to, then you're much less likely to experience poor mental health. So yeah, but hopefulness, that is a major protective factor for you. Yeah. And I think like that point really just shows how much impact that either parents or really close friends have in providing that safe like that safety and that safe space it's almost like a shield from the rest of the world in a way of just having that safe accepting person yeah absolutely and I think that's why it's so hopeful seeing all these LGBT groups at schools now even some primary schools have LGBT groups which I think is fantastic yeah they didn't exist in in you know 20 30 years ago and yeah that is a big protective factor if you've got a group you can go to a safe space yeah, yeah, so good. I saw a statistic recently that said most young people, if they're suffering with their mental health, they go to like family or friends, but most of them don't reach out to like third sector workplaces. And I'm just like, it's just such a shame because there is more support out there, but it's not being like tapped into and, and used as well. And I was just wondering, like, what you guys thought that we could be better in specifically helping young people more with their mental health from the LGBTQ plus community? 
Yeah. I think there are a few things. So some is that kind of visible, like being visible, right? So that people have got, say, their pronouns on their emails or on their picture on the website. You know, it's that kind of stuff. It's it's having a statement that says, you know, we're LGBT inclusive, but also says this is the work we've done to learn about the community and how to support the community or sharing stuff. It's LGBT History Month in February, for example, or it's Pride Month in June. But also, I think there's a really interesting research report called Life in Scotland for LGBT Young People that one of the big LGBT youth organisations in Scotland does every five years. And what they said in that was actually young people really want that and they want to see that people are taking those actions. They talked about not just wanting like a rainbow plastered everywhere, but then, you know, a youth worker that doesn't check in on people's pronouns or a youth worker that just assumes, you know, talking to some girls, say just assumes, oh, how are your boyfriends, right? Assumes that kind of heterosexuality. So it's both that kind of visible statement of LGBT inclusion and then following that up with action. You being inclusive, talking about different issues, you know, when you're doing youth work, framing that people can have lots of different types of relationships or people's genders can change. So it's sharing that you know that because young people are much more likely to come out to you or to ask for support if they can already hear that you're going to be supportive or inclusive. Yeah, and also I think... It's role modelling, that visibility. So, you know, in youth organisations, you know, it's hard to be what you can't see. So if you have like an LGBT youth worker and if you don't have an LGBT youth worker, do you have someone who's a really strong ally who, you know, who advocates for LGBT people? Because I think that's what young people are looking for. Are you a safe space? Can you be trusted? And like Ellis has said, all that, yeah, demonstrating that you've taken the action and that you are LGBT friendly and inclusive. And that you would champion them makes it much more likely that they would get in touch or pick up the phone or email. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Thanks, guys. And before we go on to the questions from our single parents, how can others be LGBTQ plus allies? You kind of have already touched on it throughout. I feel like we've had lots of like nice conversations out and dropped lots of tips in already. So have you got anything else to add to what you have already dropped in? Yeah, so I think we have a model of allyship that we call the pride model. So, yeah, the first is P. So it's about being passionate. So it's about talking up. It's about learning about, you know, it's about kind of, yeah, being excited or wanting to learn or engaging or sh- you know as a youth worker right sharing ah oh, I watched Heartstopper what did you think those kind of things if you haven't watched Heartstopper you definitely should it's the most fantastic young LGBT persons rom-com I think Ellen <laughs> I don't know how many times you've watched it <laughs> very my, feel good well man as a house not great it's a very like calming thing to watch <laughs> yeah so passionate and then it, I Oh no, I can't even spell anymore. Sorry. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's like reflective. So I think just taking a bit of time to think about your own privilege, how do gender and sexuality impact you? How is you know if if you identify as straight and cis, how has that advantaged you in the world? And having an awareness of that is really important. Yeah, and even reflecting on if you do have a young person, how might it be for them? as a gender diverse or LGBT person to go into street spaces all the time, how difficult might that be and how can you support them? Yeah. And then the I is informed 
So it's really like taking that time to learn more. So like you're already doing that if you're listening to this podcast, you're like, but yeah, thinking about where are you getting your information? Sometimes the media is not super supportive for the LGBT community. There's lots of great books and podcasts or films. But yeah, that being curious, learning more. The D is about, yeah, doing better, doing more. It's that just taking those little actions, maybe sharing your pronouns a bit more than you did before, challenging, you know, people saying things that like, oh, you're so gay is like one that, you know, kids use. I remember using it in the playground, but like, where are we challenging those bits of homophobic language? Yeah, even the, even the jokes can be harmful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so then E, yeah, is for empathetic. It's that piece of like really trying to think about in those, particularly, I guess, thinking about youth workers or parents, thinking about even if your child hasn't come out to you, how are you creating a space that makes that okay to come out? How are you being aware of what might the challenges be? So yeah, that kind of being empathetic is really important and knowing that You know, for example, at the moment, it's a particularly tough time for trans people with the big debates about the Gender Recognition Reform Act in Scotland. So like that empathy is like checking in, saying, oh, it might have been a tough week. How are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, I think all of those things contribute. And I also want to say it's also about the little things that we do, right? It doesn't have to be this like big action. Mm -hmm. Little things are also really important. Yeah, absolutely. I remember at the Pride Outside Festival, a mum coming whose young person had just came out and she had came along with rainbow socks. Oh, (laughs) I just thought allyship is lots of things and allyship is your 12 year olds coming out and you going to them with a going to them with a festival and wearing rainbow socks and solidarity. Yeah, yeah, that's so nice. I remember one of the things you said in your masterclass that I took with me was when you said something about a response is to like almost like celebrate that person for what they've just done and for like who they are and so it's not I don't know turning it into a like anything negative in any way but it's just a like celebration of their like journey and what they've come to and their openness with who they are and I just thought that was really like amazing to hear yeah I think that's like one of the really important things when people come out to us is that they're, and I quite like the phrase, some people talk about being invited in rather than coming out. And I think there's something of like, this young person is really trusting you, whether that's your child, whether that's the young person that you work with, with something that, you know, the chances are they've been thinking about for a long time and they're a bit scared to say. And so I think that, yeah, wow, thanks for telling me. Congratulations, you're so brave, yeah, is yeah. a really important, encouraging response. Yeah, absolutely. And I think back to some of the responses that I've seen, you know, parents or people give that have just been so affirming and validating, like, yeah, thanks for sharing that with me and trusting me. I'm so proud of you. I'm here for you. I'm in your corner. You know, and I think I just, and we understand that, you know, when someone comes out to you, especially if you're not expecting it, it can be, you know, it could take you back or you might be a bit shocked or a bit unexpected. I'd say the main tip is to listen. Mm. Yeah, because I think sometimes you can panic and be reactive. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually just take a breath, take a minute. And that's yeah. why else is giving a good example of like stock lines you can say, thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. Yeah, you're so thank can be such a good line to give you time to 
digest, yeah. which is what was yeah. of information. <laughs> yeah. And I think as well, sorry, we've got lots to say on this one, but I think as well, just, you know, when someone comes up to you and you are, maybe you are a bit shocked or you're scared or you don't really understand it. It's also kind of, or you've got lots of questions. I think there's something in that empathetic of thinking about how would it be for someone to share something that they're really scared with you? And would you ask, want them asking loads of questions or sharing all of their reaction in the moment? Mm-hmm. And like being scared or having lots of questions is a like very normal response that lots of people have. But I think it's about really taking that response away from the young person that you've just come out to. And it's like calling your pal, it's calling another youth worker and saying, oh I've got all these questions I'm a bit stuck rather than like expecting that young person to answer all of those questions or or sit in that with you and that kind of being affirming and supportive of the young person in the moment is the most important thing you can do absolutely and I think part of our e-learning course we actually have like suggested resources everything from podcasts like this one you can listen to to hear some books you can read here's some online resources because it's just remembering that young person is probably going on their own learning journey and yeah. maybe sharing it with you and they've not got it figured out. So as Ella said, being able to gen yourself up and get all the knowledge yourself, you might even help guide that young person. Yeah. <laughs> when they're saying, you know, I'm not sure if I'm bisexual or I'm not sure if this is happening. And you might say, well, actually, I read something quite interesting or here's here's a podcast I found or, and it's like that going with them on the journey be really powerful actually yeah, yeah that's learning yeah that's great you have I think you've like moved on to my next question I was going to ask from our single parents so it was do you have any tips or conversation starter lines for parents to support their teenager or child who is exploring and questioning their gender and sexuality I would go back to resources again. The reason I say this is it can be much easier to say, you know, I've heard Heartstoppers, great, fancy watching it together. You know, Heartstoppers and LGBT show. Or it might be that you listen to a podcaster and say, oh, I heard some really, I listened to a really interesting podcast. It was talking about all the different genders. And that's a very soft opener because that's something you can do together whether it's watch something or talk about a podcast or if you're buying books, you know, say, oh, I bought this book. It was really interesting. It's about young people's sexuality and gender. I found it really fascinating. I think it's the whole inviting in, as Ellis Mm -hmm. said. Sometimes if you're a young person and you are exploring your sexuality or your gender, fear is one of the main things that's going on for you. So if parents and carers and you know, family can demonstrate we are a safe place to share. Yeah. I think then they're much more likely, yeah, to come out. I'm thinking of a specific example, actually. <laughs> My friend of a friend who shared in a group once that she suspected her daughter was questioning her sexuality. So she specifically watched in the evening a film that involved two girls being together. And her young person said after the film, do you know that girl in the movie, Mum? I think I might be a bit like her. And that was a conversation opener. And she was like, Yeah, that's so, yeah, that's so good. I think, yeah, everything Lou said is great. But I think to add one bit to it is for me as well, it's that where are those conversations happening before you're thinking about that? So, Mm -hmm. for example, we've got a three year old niece. And so she came to our wedding. 
so she's already got this idea that you can have different you know different forms of family and I think particularly for your members in your network like it's important isn't it that family doesn't have to look like a man and a woman and some children actually family can be one adult it can be two women it can be two trans people you know it can be one man there are lots of different models of what family looks like and so I think really building those conversations from a really early age is really important so my niece can be like my niece gets my pronouns right even though she's three I mean there's a bit of he him again every now and again but she's really got that idea and she can say yeah Alice Alice is non-binary and does she understand the nuances of the ins and outs of what non-binary means no but she's got a reference and an understanding point to that and I think I remember my cousin when her wee one was like four or something saying and it really blew my mind it was before I come out actually and it just felt so important was having a like I'm never gonna leave home chat right like (laughs) I want to stay with you mommy forever right as a four-year-old might and she said well you know maybe one day you might meet a girl or a boy that you want to get married to and then you might want to leave home right and for me that's like it's all of those bits how are you making that clear from such a young age that all of those different options are there for kids and there are some really great books if you wanted some book recommendations I could give you one or two didn't want to just yes there's a really beautiful kids book so it's probably like a two or three year old book called love in the wild which is about you know same gender couples in the art elephants or flamingos (laughs) getting together that's a really good one and then there's a really beautiful book as well called The Pirate Mums, which I really enjoy as well, which is a bit more like a five or six year old book. But again, gives an example of two mums in a family or someone else told me about a book called Grandad's Camper Van as well. So these are all for quite younger kids. But then I think for older kids as well, just having there's a great book called This Book is Gay by Juno Dawson who's a trans author and that's a really good one of like for teenagers to be like oh maybe this book is useful or there's a book as well called yeah have pride it's all about kids book all about history of the LGBT community so I think there are when we've got some resources as well in our LGBT learning course of loads of books and I think it's that like what's that popular media how are you yeah how are you just presenting this as something that's there all the time and then I think it's having dropped all those seeds it's then giving Mm -hmm. kids space to say maybe it's not that you're prompting a conversation it's just saying look I just really want you to know that actually if you wanted to talk to me about your sexuality or gender I'm here to talk about that and I'm happy to support you in whatever that is it's not necessarily like prompting you know do you think you're gay (laughs) over breakfast which is a bit of a shock but just really (laughs) building that space that empathy that culture that says it's okay to come out if you need to Yeah. yeah And do you think that that would prevent it from almost being a much bigger conversation? Because if it's just because I have heard and I have like a few friends that it it is like it was like such a big deal and it is. But I think that's because it didn't feel as safe at home to, to have that conversation. Whereas if it's like a either one, like doesn't matter, you're accepted either way that it's just it would make it a lot easier to just casually talk about it rather than it being a built up thing that you need to talk about 
Absolutely. The examples Ellis gave, I've heard lots of stories that would echo that. You know, if your parents or carers are saying things like, you know, when you're older, you know, you might meet someone. It could be a boy, it could be a girl, you could decide to be on your own. If you're saying that to your young people, you know, they're noting that and going, oh, I think you'd be okay with that. I think you're a safe person to share with. Whereas if you're teasing them all the time, you know, if it's a girl and you're teasing them all the time about having a boyfriend and they've got a girlfriend, suddenly that becomes a coming out, if that makes sense. Yeah. They're like, oh gosh, this person has this expectation of me and I'm going to disappoint them or fail yeah. them or let them yeah. down or upset them. Whereas if you're giving that as an option, there's lots of different relationships. It's much more easier. So I'd say make a conscious effort to give lots of options in terms of gender, sexuality, because then you're signaling to your young person, I am a safe space. I'm going to be okay about it. I'm going to be supportive. And then it doesn't build up to a big reveal, <laughs> which I think yeah. is good yeah. for party. It's not good for the young person. I think it's stressful. It's nerve wracking, you know, the fear. And also it's not good for the person receiving that information because yeah. it's quite a big build up. It's like we talked about before, it could be quite a shock mm-hmm. or it could be a lot of information at once. So it's not good for either party. So I think creating an environment, as Ella said, I liked your, expe- your description of dropping seeds and demonstrating, whether it's books or films or demonstrating that you are an ally and you're a safe space to share that information with yeah amazing thank you so much I had another question from somebody recently who asked who said the main so she has a 15 year old who has who has come out as a lesbian and she was saying that like the biggest issue is not actually the fact of coming out for her but there's a huge she's been waiting apparently like three years on a waiting list for support and for help or for counseling and her mom is like what else can we do in the meantime because that's what's massively affecting her mental health so like do you have any advice on what to do while you're waiting Yeah, so I think looking for LGBT youth groups can be really important. We've done some work with quite a lot of different LGBT youth groups in Scotland. And I think Walu went to an LGBT youth group when she was young. And I think it really gives that space to feel really accepted. And that can really support young people's mental health. So it's not going to be counselling, but actually just being in a space where other people are like you can just be really healing and really important. And I'd also say because of covid there is actually some online options now. So, okay. for example, a lot of LGBT charities now offer online groups. So if that person is in a small village or finds it difficult to go into a city, or even if the young person might find it a bit overwhelming to go to the group in person, there is a lot of online groups, yeah, which means you can be in an LGBT space, again, a protective factor to yeah. Yeah, your mental health. Yeah. I think there's a piece about really learning it's kind of that really supporting your young person to know that it's okay to be LGBT or it's okay to be to identify as a lesbian or like finding those positive examples and positive role models I think can be really reassuring and it's those even if it's you know there's like beautiful biographies of people saying well life gets better it was really tough there's some really great young adult fiction actually Becky Albatrelli, she wrote Love, Simon, which is a film now, but she's got some really, yeah, there's some really beautiful young adult fiction that I think can be supportive to be like, oh yeah, some people, other people find this stuff. And there are also some good books 
which I think it depends on the age of the young person. There's the queer mental health book. I think there's a few books around queer mental health and kind of journals and workbooks and activities that can be useful. And also just looking out, there are the sector organisations that offer specific counselling for LGBT young people because so I'm also training to be a therapist. And I think one of the experiences that I've had with my clients and I've had personally is that you go to a therapist that then doesn't or a counsellor that doesn't understand that identity that you know misgender your partner might misgender you might say oh well it's nothing to do with being LGBT so I think it's also whilst those waiting lists are long it's also making sure that the service is LGBT friendly and will support the young person in that yeah amazing thank you for that and for our young people do you have any advice on how they can challenge homophobia in a friendship group Because I know school can be such a hard place to be in and you don't, I don't know, a lot of people don't want to rock the boat in case then they're picked on, but it's so important to challenge it. So yeah, what would you say? Absolutely. Having experienced lots of bullying in school and even as an adult being in spaces where there's homophobia, one of the things I find helpful so that it isn't confrontational is to focus on how you feel yourself. So I would say something like, Something I've said recently, <laughs> I felt really uncomfortable or I felt really sad when you made that joke because I'm LGBT and it makes me feel like you don't really see me or you don't really value me or you don't care about me. Because I think to actually say I feel you're being homophobic can sometimes escalate. Yeah. So actually, just to share with someone, because a lot of the time, not always, but a lot of the time someone might be making jokes or making fun or being homophobic they think it's not a big deal especially in younger friendship groups but that has an impact I think the term is microaggression you might think I'm just making a joke but if that young queer person is in different friendship groups and they're all making homophobic jokes that has an emotional impact so I think quite often speaking to that person one-on-one rather than in a group Mm -hmm. as you know group dynamics can be brutal <laughs> in high school so just encouraging the young person can you if there's a ringleader or someone specifically could you speak to them one-on-one or text them and say be really specific oh I felt upset the comment you made it felt really homophobic or I'm LGBT and yeah it didn't feel very supportive and quite often I would say nine times out of ten the person will apologize but most importantly they realize that it's had a negative impact on you yeah yeah I was just gonna say two things so one I think is like being able to then share in that group whether it's a meme or a TikTok or like there is some great stuff out there that's around LGBT education that's really you know doesn't get into lots of theory but it's like friendly or funny and so Mm -hmm. it's kind of drip feeding some of that back in and then I think the other thing in terms of it depends on the age of young people, but it's also to think about parents and what's happening at home. Yeah. And you know, I think that's also really important. Actually, we often, yes, we pick up some of these societal messages from the media or from TV, but it's also about what's being said at home. And then as a parent, if you're worried about that in your child's friendship groups, are there other conversations you can have with parents as well to kind of make sure that it's being tackled at all of those levels? And sometimes, and it's it's a really difficult thing to say, but sometimes I think kids can be really homophobic when they're really scared of coming out themselves. So there's something of really like supporting that and 
not supporting the homophobia, obviously, but like supporting the people to understand that there are lots of different reasons why people say these things. And how can we support people to learn more and learn that it's okay rather than just jumping on one individual? That's really interesting. I didn't realise that. One of the key people who bullied me at high school, I met in a gay club 10 years later and she apologised to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's very common because that internalised homophobia um, where you're thinking, oh, I don't want to feel like this. I don't want to be gay. This is not who I am. It's very easily projected onto someone else. It deflects from you. Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, it is quite common. It reminds me of talking about homes and conversations and parents. reminds me of us. We went on our honeymoon where there was a family beside us. And you'll probably remember better than me what the dad said to the young boys. Young boys, all under 10 years old. Oh, yeah, they were like playing in the pool. It was all quite cold. And he said, oh, don't be such a pansy. And so we can think that that's just like funny pieces, but actually pansy was used as a real insult for gay men for a long time. So it's like, what are those little words that we just might like not think of as homophobic, but actually it's really suggesting like it's not okay or like that kind of, it also happens a lot with gender, right? Oh, you just need to man up and not cry. Like, what are those bits that that were like put in gender stereotypes or anecdotally make people feel like it's not okay to come out? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so good. Oh, thanks, guys. Leading on to our final two questions. I love these ones. So what is your mental health manifesto? It gets better. It always gets better. You know, there's a great Winston Churchill quote that says that, you know, if you're in hell, keep walking. (laughs) And I think sometimes whether it's, you know, you being LGBT or your child, it can be really tough and really scary sometimes. But just remembering that it will get better. You know, your child will move through it. You'll move through it. Yeah. And things, feelings pass and things will get better. There's a great campaign pain called it gets better actually if you google it there's lots of really amazing lgbt people mostly kind of like celebrities or sports people yeah talking about what is it they needed to hear when they were younger and most of it is like it gets better your life's going to be amazing <laughs> don't, yeah. don't worry about the bullying in high school the very thing you'll be bullied for is the thing that you'll you know be celebrated for yeah nice i think mine is and it sounds super cheesy but it is like love yourself And I say it because it's been a real journey for me to be able to do that, to be able to accept who I am, to be able to come out more than once, all of those kind of things. And really doing what are those things that nourish you and support you? So, yeah, if you're trans, what are the things that give you gender joy or, you know, where are we? I think that piece of that, it's so important to notice that we can really internalize those messages that say we're not okay. And that that kind of piece of like loving yourself, rejecting those societal messages is just so important. And that, yeah, when we've got those critical voices, it can really damage our mental health. So yeah, yeah, I've really worked on that voice inside that loves me because it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And if you guys could go back and say anything to your younger self, what would you say? It's quite an emotional question, isn't it? I think if I could go back and speak to my 12-year-old self that was questioning her sexuality, not feeling good enough and so scared, I would say you are perfect just as you are and never change yourself for anyone else because you will be loved 
for exactly the person you are. You know. (laughs) Yeah, I think I would say it's okay to be different. And yes, it feels like you need to fit in and it feels like you need to follow the mould. It feels like you'll lose everything if you're different. But actually, there's something really beautiful in being different and it's important to embrace that. Yeah. Oh, such a nice way to end. I'm very emotional. I'm feeling ulterior now. I know, me too. I can feel my eyes going. (laughs) They're such great questions, though. They're so important. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, thank you guys so much for answering all our questions and so thoroughly. I hope everybody else listening has come away with lots of like tips and ideas and just a better understanding of how to best help young people. So, yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having us. And for anyone listening, the fact that you're listening to this podcast is your first step in LGBT allyship. So thank you for even listening. Thanks so much for listening to Compassionate Conversations Series 2. You can find us on Single Parents Wellbeing. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in to our next episodes. See you soon.